0: Hi, and welcome to episode 50, also known as the Trader Vic's Portland Tribute episode of 5 Minutes of Rum. Notes on rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Up the Grove. Today's episode features Blackwell Dark Jamaican Rum, Ginger Beer, Blood Orange, and the specialty cocktail of Trader Vic's Portland, Nelson's Blood. All right, so as I literally just mentioned, today's feature rum in this episode is Blackwell Rum. Blackwell Rum is marketed as a dark Jamaican rum, sort of akin to Karuba or probably more likely Myers Rum. Uh, It's very dark in color and made for mixing. So let's start with the tasting notes on this. Um, In terms of aroma, I found the Blackwell dark rum to be, as you might expect, a dark caramel color. doesn't strike me as quite as dark as Karuba and certainly not as dark as a Hamilton Jamaican black rum. But that Hamilton Jamaican black has caramel color added to make it actually specifically that dark of a color. So in any case, uh, it is certainly a dark rum in the glass. Uh, When you swirl it around, you get long, thin, quick forming legs that go down the side of the glass um, as you swirl. Aroma uh, picked up brown sugar, maple syrup, and toffee, and not really boozy on the nose. So, a little bit of different flavors of sweet there uh, in terms of the aroma. And then, swirling that is going to open up a little bit more additional aroma, like some, and you know, in addition to some more astringency. So, you get a little bit more of that booziness once you swirl it around and pick up maybe a little bit of baking molasses as well. Uh, Taste wise, I found the rum to have medium body um, and when you sipped it, it had maybe some medicinal or sarsaparilla uh, notes when you sipped it. Um, Other than that, I didn't really pick up a lot of strong individual flavors and in terms of finish, I found the finish to be pretty quick and uneventful. um, Not really any substantial warmth or heat from the rum. In fact, when I was doing the tasting notes, I almost forgot to note the finish um, because it was so sort of in the background and, and not very remarkable. Um, To sum up this rum, this doesn't strike me as a sipping rum, uh, but I think it would be very useful in cocktails. Um, I think it would work well with orange and other similar flavors. Uh, Though it is a darker rum from Jamaica, I definitely would not treat this as a pure substitute for something like caruba. The root beer slash sarsaparilla notes kind of remind me of the Kaloa dark rum uh, we talked about. I think that was in episode 22. Um, So in that way, it's actually closer to a spiced rum. Although as soon as you say spiced rum, the mind starts to conjure up a flamboyantly dressed, though surprisingly vanilla pirate. Uh, so I'm reluctant to call it a spiced rum for fear of mixing it up in company that it probably really doesn't belong in. So, post tasting, let's go ahead and 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 do a little bit of an investigation on the rum itself. So first up, the rum is named after Chris Blackwell. Uh, Blackwell co-founded Island Records in 1959. That's the Island Records that was the home of Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, U2, and other other acts, and that label is now part of the Universal Music Group. Uh, Blackwell sold the label to Polygram in 1989 and then left the label completely in 1997. Uh, Welcome, apparently, to this episode of 5 Minutes of the Record Industry. Uh, Blackwell is an Englishman who spent a lot of his childhood in Jamaica, and his family had ties to both Jamaica and Costa Rica. His mother was born in Costa Rica to the family um, that made part of their fortune in Appleton Rum. So if nothing else, Blackwell is definitely not a Johnny-come-lately to the Caribbean area. Uh, He obviously spent a lot of time there, grew up there, and knows the area very well. Um, And he also owns the Golden Eye Estate, which is the former home of James Bond author Ian Fleming. Uh, So while he doesn't have a background himself in making rum or spirits, he certainly has roots in the region and the agricultural output of that region. Uh, Blackwell launched the rum in 2009 along with a uh, a gentleman by the name of Richard Kirschenbaum, who I believe is uh, of some note in the ad industry, but clearly this rum is marketed on Chris. Bla- excuse me, on um, yeah, Chris Blackwell's presence. He's the he's the marketing force that's driving the brand. The rum itself is produced by the J. Ray and Nephew Company, that's the maker of Appleton. Uh, the blend for this rum per- reportedly has the hand of Appleton master blender Joyce Spence uh, providing guidance. So that's a, a definitely something in the favor of this rum. The recipe itself is said to harken back to when Blackwell's mother's family owned the Appleton Estate. So remember, um, that side of the family at one point was one of the owners of the Appleton Estate. Uh, The official site is a little light on detail when it comes to the rum, but it does mention small batch pot distillation with 18 to 24 months of aging. A more detailed internet search says that those are whiskey and bourbon barrels and that the spirit is made from fermented molasses as opposed to, say, cane syrup, of course. Uh, The molasses purportedly comes from Jamaican sugarcane. I haven't seen anything substantial that backs that up, but I'm going to take the the couple sources that I saw at their word. And from what little information can be found online about the production process, it appears that this rum is a blend of both pot and column still uh, distillates. Uh, Where to find the rum? Um, Overall, the rum isn't too hard to find, although it's far less accessible than Meyers. It's probably slightly easier to find than Karuba. Your mileage may vary depending on what your local liquor stores look like. Um, it retails, uh, sort of a wide range of prices. I've seen it anywhere from 21 to $30 for a standard 750 milliliter bottle. Uh, total wine near me is close to $22 in price, which is actually a pretty good price for, uh, this bottle of rum. When you get closer to 30, you might be able to find, um, something that's a little more, a little more representative of a Jamaican rum. Um, but again, at, at at this price point, I think it's pretty good for, for, for a mixer. There's a lot of applications you can, you can use this rum in. Um, It's bottled at a standard 80 proof or 40% alcohol by volume. Uh, Again, like I said, not a bad rum for mixing and not a bad buy overall. Um, I would probably keep one around the uh, the house for use in spiced applications, not a spiced rum where I would use the spiced rum I talked about way back in, I want to say, episode 9 or 10 when I talked about uh, making your own spiced rum, but for maybe something like a Captain Verdana's Grog or even use it for a guest who wants a highball. so if you're in the market for a classic room for sipping, you may want to pass on this one. Otherwise, if you want something else that you can use for mixing, it might be worth adding to your uh, collection at home. Now, speaking of mixing, uh, something that would be uh, part of a highball or maybe other cocktails, I want to talk a little bit about ginger beer next. So uh, probably should start with what is ginger beer. So uh, ginger as an ingredient has been used for a very long time. Um, as both uh, for both its flavor and both and as well as for purported medicinal purposes anyway so fast forward um, to victoria era era england and ginger started to be used in an alcoholic beverage and was dubbed ginger beer Uh, nowadays there are both uh, alcoholic ginger beers and non-alcoholic ginger beers on on shelves in the u.s at least the predominant version that you'll or the one that's that you'll predominantly find in stores is the non-alcoholic ginger beer and the way i would characterize that um is the ginger beer is it's very similar to a ginger ale except a little less sweet and a little bit more of the ginger flavor so ginger ale you can think of more as a sweetened soda ginger beer while it definitely has some sugar in it is a little bit sharper a little bit maybe a little bit drier depending on which one you're having um, and has a little bit more of that ginger bite so ginger beer is actually, you know, it's it's very well known in in a couple of different cocktails, including the Moscow Mule. Um, and then it's, you know, also enjoyed on its own. You know, uh, there's a lot of different brands you can find. There's there's Reeds, there's Cock and Bull, there's Bundaberg, there's Fever Tree. Um, in fact, a side note on Fever Tree, it's a very good ginger beer, but it also is a very strong ginger beer. So most ginger beers that I mentioned, uh, and those were just a handful of the numerous, numerous ones that are out in the world, but most of the mass market ones that you find are, are within a relatively close flavor range. Fever Tree is very definitely turning up the dial on the ginger flavor. So when you make a recipe that calls for a certain amount of ginger beer, um, if you're using Fever Tree, you might want to dial it down a little. So for instance, in some recipes that call for maybe three ounces of ginger beer, if it was uh, Fever Tree, I might dial that down to. Uh, it's more to taste. Just know that Fever Tree, you're going to get something that's a little bit stronger. Now, probably aside from the Moscow Mule, one of the most famous uh, cocktails that uses a ginger beer is the Dark and Stormy. Uh, The Gosling's company owns a trademark on this drink that's commonly referred to as a Dark and Stormy. Uh, At least I believe they own the trademark in the U.S. I don't know if they own it worldwide. Um, The Dark and Stormy is really a specific version of a highball or what you can also refer to as an and drink. So it's a spirit and something else. Um, In this case, if you're going to make the true dark and stormy as trademarked by Gosling's, you're going to use Gosling's dark rum and quite possibly Gosling's ginger beer. They make their own version as well. But essentially, some version of the ginger and rum highball uh, would be a couple of ounces of rum that you're using, probably two times that in terms of ginger beer or to taste. So between three and four ounces of ginger beer on top and maybe a squeeze of lime just to give it a little bit more acidity. Um, and that's essentially, you know, a highball or the rum and ginger beer version of a highball. Now, let's talk a little bit about blood oranges as we build towards today's cocktail. Uh, what are blood oranges? So, blood oranges, like implied by the name, that's a type of orange citrus where the inside flesh is the of the fruit is a dark red. The outside of a blood orange is often a very dark orange that sort of blends into red patches out on the on the rind. They're smaller than navel oranges, uh, larger than a tangerine, about the size of a regular Valencia orange. A Valencia orange is a, is a juice orange. And as an aside, if you have the option and you're making fresh orange juice, always reach for the Valencia. They don't look as cool as the navel oranges, but they are much better for juicing and you get a better yield and a better tasting juice. Uh, navel oranges are, are more for eating out of hand, peeling and eating out of hand. But um, anyways, back to blood oranges. We're here to talk about blood oranges today. And the yield on a blood orange is is a little bit less than you would get from a normal Valencia orange. Now the juice from a blood orange is also a dark red. It's almost purple in color when you squeeze it into a glass. It smells a lot like orange juice, um, blindfolded. If you're blindfolded and smell it, you may confuse it with its scent with a standard orange. Uh, When it comes to taste, they're not exactly a straight orange juice flavor, more like a combination of orange and another berry like a raspberry. So it has the sweetness from an orange, but also a little bit of an edge like you'd get from a a sharper berry. In terms of season, uh, at least locally for me, blood oranges are not available year-round. Blood oranges are common to Italy and Spain. The always correct Wikipedia tells me that blood orange is the primary orange grown in Italy and originated in either China or the southern Mediterranean. Uh, When they're grown here in the U.S., they are typically in season from November to May, and what I've seen locally in Southern California with availability is that they're usually plentiful in February and March and hard to come by in other times of the year, at least in my local mega mart. Um, I did run across a few right before Thanksgiving, prompting this research here into this topic for this episode. Now all of this is to say that blood oranges can be quite useful in a cocktail because you'll get a strong red color while not really having to deal with a flavor that's that that's very much more exotic than an orange. And the red pigment is an antioxidant. So the cocktail is, Practically good for you at that point. So as I mentioned, the ginger beer, the Blackwell rum, the blood orange, that's all leading us to today's cocktail, the Nelson's Blood. But before we get to that, um, I want to do a little bit of a short history on the Portland uh, Trader Vicks and the cocktail name itself. So uh, a brief history on the Portland Trader Vic's uh, location. The current location of Trader Vicks in Portland opened in 2011 in the Pearl District of Portland, Oregon. Um, I visited many times over the course of three separate visits to Portland since 2011, and I personally always have a fantastic time there. So this is a little bit of a little bit of a plug for them as well. Uh, the The front of the restaurant um, is, you know, if I'm going through like a typical Tiki bar experience or a Trader Vic's experience, the front of the restaurant is a little bit more open um, than dark. It's got big windows out front, but overall, the the decor is very well done, and the staff there is great. Uh, Contrasting them to the late LA Live Trader Vicks, the Portland staff just seemed more into what they're doing. They seem to know a little bit more about the history of it. They seem to enjoy themselves a little bit more. Uh, Leaving the the lamented late LA uh, Live Trader Vicks aside, uh, this is the actual second Trader Vicks location in Portland. The first location existed at the downtown Benson Hotel. Uh, It was there from, I think, the mid-50s or the late 50s into 1996. Um, and because my wife and I are just nerdy enough, we actually stayed at the Benson Hotel in 2014, the last time we were in Portland. Um, but all the Trader Vic's traces from the Pen- Benson Hotel at this point are gone. All you can really do is take a photo of the current place and compare it to a historical photo and kind of see where it was when it was there. Um, as a side note, you know, make sure you take pictures and, and keep them around of places that you visit. You're, you are going to want them later. Um, anyways, a gentleman by the name of Bob Parsons worked at the Benson Hotel when Trader Vic's closed and he salvaged some of their decor. Uh, Parsons uh, got in contact with another gentleman by the name of Jay Clayton Herring, a managing partner in the new, or at this time it was the in-development new Trader Vicks Portland, uh, when Parsons heard about the return of Trader Vicks to Portland, and he essentially wanted to uh, provide some of that decor from the old location to the new location. Now, uh, Jay Clayton Herring, uh, his father was one of the Uh, Vic Bergeron's original 100 card-carrying members of the original Emeryville location. Uh, It's written that Herring also proposed to his wife at the Trader Vic's D.C. location. Uh, If we ever meet in person, you and I uh, listening to this podcast, I will tell you a story about a proposal that was not mine in the Trader Vic's Emeryville that ended with me being carted out of the restaurant on a stretcher. So I'll tease that a little bit. If you ever see me, let's have a cocktail and I'll tell you a fun story about that. Anyways, all that is to say that Harrington had a strong personal attraction to Trader Vicks. Uh, and from what I can tell, this is at least partly why this restaurant exists. The sheer force of his will and his enthusiasm for it um, is what brought it, helped bring it into existence and what helped keeps it uh, operating today. The current VIX in Portland does well at what they do. Uh, I, I've had good cocktails there. Um, I've had great experience uh, dining there. So um, I hope it exists for a long time. If you're in the area, go support it. If you're not in the area, take a weekend or to Portland. It's a great city, and you'll uh, you'll get to check out um, a lot of great places to eat, a lot of great places to drink, and you get to go to a great Trader Vic's. Um, if you're interested in seeing some more photos, there's some some photos in the show notes, and as well as some other Portland photos on my Flickr page, and there will be a link to those uh, Flickr albums in the show notes as well. Now, the Trader Vic's, as it should, has a signature cocktail, and the one in Portland is the uh, Nelson's Blood. Uh, so, British Admiral Horatio Lord Nelson, as legend goes, was killed in battle in October of 1805. To get his body back to England for burial, it needed to be preserved. Now, the legend kicks in and says that his body was stored in a vat of rum. See, as you may have heard, rum is very important to British naval history. Um, And the crew was forbidden to drink from this vat um, for probably obvious reasons. So when the ship arrived in England and the vat was retrieved, it was, of course, empty. Uh, Naval rum and or grog at that point came to be known as Nelson's blood. So the Nelson's blood cocktail, to make this, you're going to want to take the juice of one quarter of a lemon, or actually take a quarter of a lemon and squeeze that juice into a glass. Take one quarter of a blood orange and squeeze that juice into a glass as well. And then into a shaking tin, you want to combine one quarter ounce of lemon juice, one quarter ounce of blood orange puree. And I'll put an asterisk on that and say that I use fresh pressed orange juice, uh, but I don't strain it. So I think that's pretty close to a puree. So just go ahead and say a quarter ounce of blood orange juice, one quarter ounce of brandy, one quarter ounce of falernum, and two ounces of dark rum. You're going to shake all of those ingredients uh, in that shaking tin with ice cubes and drop in before you start shaking it, the squeezed lemon rind, and then pour that all unstrained into a double old fashioned glass. At that point, pour in two ounces of ginger ginger beer as a float on top and then garnish with the squeezed blood orange rind and some spanked mint. Um, as a cocktail, it's it's a really good blend of a couple things that are common with uh, a scorpion from Trader Vic's. So you have the elements of the lemon and the orange and the brandy And uh, from a scorpion. You get a little bit of a dark and stormy note because you're using uh, dark rum and you're using a little bit of ginger, or not a little bit, you're using ginger beer. So you're kind of combining those elements together maybe tying it a little bit into a bow with Falernum and overall it's a really well executed cocktail. And I, I recommend making one. Uh, there's a picture of that thing in the show notes uh, with of course, a Manny because it's Trader Bix. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. Show links are up on the five minutes of rum website. That's number five minutes of rum.com. The show is also on iTunes as five minutes of rum on iTunes. You can subscribe. You can rate the show. You can even leave a review. Uh, if you have a chance tell, if you like the show, tell your friends, Uh, stealing a little bit of the closing line there from stop podcasting yourself um, or leave a rating on iTunes. Uh, You know, if you, if you like the show, let somebody else know about it. Hopefully they'll let somebody else know about it and we'll get more people listening and enjoying quality rum. Uh, Please send in any comments, corrections, feedback, or requests via the five minutes of Rum website or on Twitter. And now go get some rum.